morning from the from the dean's office. Dean Kessner sends her greetings. Uh, I'm Phil Powell. I'm associate dean of academic programs on our IUPUI campus, and we always look forward to our business outlook panel each year. For those of you who have been with us in the past, you say, "Well, this is typically much larger," and it typically is. It's because of COVID. A lot of our corporate partners just have policies right now that's carte blanche. They're not buying tables, so we are capturing. Our, uh, our session with, from the RI podcast, the Kelly School has a podcast, and Matt Martella back here is, is, is our producer. And so check, please check out our ROI podcast. Uh, every week we're, we're interviewing dynamic business leaders, both here in Indianapolis and across the nation. Um, also, you know, the Business Outlook Panel would not be possible without our Indiana Business Research Center, which is located both in Bloomington and in Indianapolis. Our Indiana Business Research Center does a phenomenal job serving our state, providing data to both uh, local and, 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 and national users, and have year after year after year have been recognized as one of the best business research centers in the country. So Carol, one of our, our, our co-director here, and, and we just want to thank the staff for, for all their work. Um, anyway, let's, let's get down to business here. Wow. What a year! What a it's not a roller coaster. It's it's something crazier than that. Um, and uh, if, if for those of you running a business, for those of you helping businesses, for those of us in business schools, we're we're we're, we're, we're we've been trying to make sense of this ourselves. Um, I, I I authored a piece back early last spring called "Feeling the G's," which was that we knew we were going to come out and come out like a rocket. And it's just, there's just a lot of disorientation right now. Markets are struggling to price uh, scarcity. And so, um, you know, it's times like these where as, as economists and as business leaders, we certainly reevaluate our models and, 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 and try to make sure we're capturing reality. But we're going to, so we've, we've got some, 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 some business, we've got both business leadership and here in the panel and, and, and our, our team of economists and we're gonna we're gonna do our best to, to give you to give you insights of, of, of where we're headed at, at the at the national, state, and, and local level. Very briefly, and then I, then I'll turn it over to our panelists to kind of kind of go down the rows. Um, on my immediate left is Professor Kyle Anderson. Uh, Kyle is chair faculty chair of our evening MBA program. Uh, did his graduate work at, at, at the Kelly School in Bloomington, and is a is a native. Is grew up in Indianapolis, so so what's happening in the business community here is, is is near and dear to his heart. Kyle will will give us the national economic outlook. Uh, to, to Kyle's left is is Professor Russell Rhodes. Russell's just joined the Kelly School uh, from Loyola University in Chicago. Uh, not only did Russell teach at Loyola, but he was also a chief economist at the Chicago Board of Options Chicago Board of Options and Trade. So um, we're, we're certainly glad to have him on our, um, on our faculty. Also new to the Kelly School faculty, new to the Business Outlook panel, is uh, Jennifer Rice. While Russell's going to give us the financial market outlook, so take notes for your retirement portfolio, uh, Jennifer's going to scope in and, and give us the, um, uh, the forecast for the, at the state level. And uh, Jennifer also has her PhD in economics from Bloomington. And she's taught at Butler and up uh, at Eastern Michigan. But we've, we're really glad to have her uh, here at, at the Kelly School. Also, on, on our panel, we have Miss Anita Williams, 
who is a board chair of, of the Black Chamber of Commerce. Um, Anita has been a small business consultant for over 20 years, is a very visible and, 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 and important leader here in the Indianapolis business community. The Chamber's had a lot of, of great news recently in terms of them helping to make Indianapolis uh, a national leader in, in small business success. But uh, we, we've asked Anita to join the panel as, as a business leader to give us a sense of, from the, Indiana, from the perspective of the Indianapolis business community, especially in the, in, in the small business community, where does she see the challenges and the opportunities as we head into 2022? So with that, let's get down to business. Kyle, talk about this wonderful nation and where we're headed. <laughs> Thanks, Phil. Um, where we are headed. So I, I like Phil's remark there. It's because of COVID, right? Like that's kind of what, as we look at the forecast, we have to kind of think about what is because of COVID and how much of, you know, everything is tempered by that. Our economy right now is in, I would say, the most unusual situation I have seen. And I started doing this in 2008, which was an entertaining time to be, you know, to do your first panels. So we've got a couple uh, first-time panelists here, and, and, and these are unusual times. What we've seen over the last, what I've seen being part of this panel for the last 13, 14 years is kind of the same story, right? weaker demand, weaker growth than we would have liked, but but kind of steady. You know, once we got out of 2008, 2009, we, we had a long period of steady growth. Then we had last year, we were all on, on Zoom, we were all trying to figure out everyone was sitting home, no one was spending. We, we had that model. Now we've come out of this, but the COVID still hangs very heavy in the economic forecast in a couple ways. Um, we, we had a really strong recovery over the summer. The, the second quarter numbers were extremely strong. And then basically two factors hit us in early fall. And one was the Delta variant kind of rearing back and, and pulling a few things back. And the other are the large supply chain issues that have wreaked havoc with the economy. And so as we go forward, the question becomes, to what extent are those two factors going to play a role in 2022? Um, right now, we feel like the the COVID, the direct impacts of COVID, are not not very strong right now. In the sense that consumer demand is strong, people are spending money. We're we're all impacted by COVID but it's not affecting the overall economy in terms of household spending, in terms of business investment, in terms of those things that, that drive economic growth. It's not having a direct effect. The indirect effects are in things like the labor market, in the supply chain, why we're not able to get all the goods and services, not able to hire the people that we want to hire. So the, the challenges right now are very different than what we've seen at, at any time in, certainly in recent history. The GDP growth, third quarter, 2.3%, a, a very kind of pedestrian number, may, a disappointing one in, in our recovery, but for the reasons that we talked about. But I think it's interesting. It, you know, obviously, if you look back to where a lot we have a lot stronger economy than we did a year ago. We, we know that. But we're also 
significantly stronger. We're 8% higher than we were two years ago for the third quarter. So essentially, it's almost as if COVID recession didn't happen, right? We're back to an outlet output level that we probably would have been on that original growth path. So that, that's certainly a, a, a good, healthy sign of the economy, it indicates we, we've recovered a lot. There's been some cost with that, right? A lot of the reason household spending is still good is the government has spent a lot of money, driven a lot of that demand in a way that's probably not sustainable and it's gonna taper off a little bit in 2022. So our forecast is for continued growth into 2022 uh, and really pretty strong growth in the first half of the year. I think this the fourth quarter of, of this year and the first two, three quarters of next year are going to see quite strong growth. The What is holding it back is the labor market. And, and while unemployment is under 5%, and that's a pretty good number, the labor force participation is still quite low. So our labor force participation is at 61.6%. The last time it was this low prior to COVID was July of 1976. So we have fewer adults in the labor force now than, you know, obviously there were, there were fewer earlier this year, but basically since 1976. And, and that recovery, you know, it bounced back after COVID a little bit, but it seems to have tapered off. So the question is, where have all these folks gone? And there's no single one answer. We've got, uh, we've seen a great retirement. A lot of folks in their 60s have just, during the pandemic, said, hey, forget it, I'm done, right? <laughs> and I, I don't blame them. I wish I was older, I would do that as well. I'm uh, sorry, <laughs> Phil. Um, so, but that's a, that's a portion of the story, but that's not all of it. Because when we look at, 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 we break it down by age group, there are people who have left the labor force at all ages. Some of it are people taking care of families. So, you know, would hopefully as the vaccine is available to more children and, and schools stabilize and all that situation, we, we hope to see folks coming back. But it's affecting both men and women. So it's not, you know, it, it, it's maybe that's not a complete answer. So there, there are a lot of different stories for why the labor force is not kind of where it should be. And the narrative matters because the biggest factor and the biggest unknown, I think, for us right now is inflation and how we're going to deal with that. Um, and, and there's disagreement. Uh, there's some folks, Phil just said, it, it's the 1970s all over again. And... You know, there, there are a lot of economists. This is the most divided I've seen, I think, economists in terms of whether the inflation going on right now is temporary due to the supply issues in the supply chain or whether it's more structural due to maybe more to monetary policy or structural in the sense that these supply issues aren't likely to go away anytime soon and inflation is increasing. I tend to be in the temporal camp, but you know that that's uh, certainly an open question, and there are you know respected economists all around that that view that very differently. And I think if you're looking for one factor to say how is 
2022 going to go, whether prices continue to rise or whether the Fed has to step in and, you know, increase rates and, and taper and do these things that will slow down the economy to keep inflation in check. I, I think those are the biggest things we're keeping an eye out. Overall, I, I think the outlook is positive, but um, there, there are certainly some challenges going forward um, that, that we're going to deal with. Thanks, Kyle. With that, Russell, I can just... Can no, flip, okay, you sure? Yeah, I'm positive. Okay, fair enough. I don't sit uh, still very well. Fair enough. Uh, anyway, <laughs> Russell going to tell us about where these financial markets are going to head. Russell's new and trying, so he needs a crutch. Here's the crutch. Um, so I'm going to, as was mentioned, I was with uh, CBOE for about 10 years, and they trained us on how to do presentations. They said you get three points across. So there are your three points, inflation, interest rates, and believe it or not, stocks are kind of expensive right now. Um, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't invest in stocks. Uh, inflation, it's a good segue. Uh, it's transitory until it's not. I'm going to make you guys answer a question real quick. Who thinks it's permanent? Wow. I was expecting more of a split grip, so there's still a majority that thinks it's transitory. That's good for those of us that think it's permanent if we're right, because we'll get ahead of everybody else on that one. Um, so there have been, I think there's 14 or 15 central banks that have already raised rates around the world to combat inflation in their own countries. So they're of the opinion that they at least need to, need to get ahead of it. Powell, kind of interesting, I, I watched Powell's talk yesterday before, I didn't want to put this together and then have the Fed completely screw up my presentation. So I waited until after the Fed yesterday. And Powell did say, he said, well, we're kind of targeting 2% inflation, but it's okay if we go a few tenths above that. So it'll be interesting to see if we have like a, once, once we get past some of the trailing COVID um, recovery and trans, what people think is transitory, if we have like a 2.5% inflation number for two or three months, if the Fed starts to adjust or not. Uh, but he was giving himself more wiggle room than he has in the past. If you do believe in it, oil stocks, emerging market stocks, gold, cyclicals, and small caps, historically those have been five areas that have done particularly well. Uh, I have spent some of my career working on cryptocurrency. I came darn close to putting Bitcoin at the bottom. Uh, but I think the bit because all the Bitcoin people are telling us right now, it's going to it's a great inflation hedge. If people were projecting deflation, I'll bet you all the Bitcoin people would be saying it's a great deflation hedge. Um, whatever the world is doing, the uh, crypto people are believe that they're where you're supposed to be. So I don't necessarily know how Bitcoin will react once we do have our first uh, infl true inflation, non-transitory inflation. Um, they announced tapering yesterday. It was right in line with what was expected. Uh, I teach on Tuesday nights, and my Tuesday night class, I have three or four people that stick around for about an hour afterwards, and we kick around the markets. Uh, and the, the discussion was around, if they announce tapering, is the stock market going to sell off? And the feeling was, if they announce tapering that's in line with what everybody expects, not a whole lot's going to happen. And not a whole lot happened yesterday afternoon after that. Um, <clears throat> recently, there was uh, about a 50% chance that we would get one rate hike in 2022. That number's been changing. I'm going to show you a couple charts in a minute. Um, and yesterday, they... they uh, Powell did not commit to any kind of time frame around a, a rate hike. Um, you can use the, without getting too technical at breakfast, you can use the derivative markets to figure out um, the odds of anything. Uh, it just if you watch, uh, if, if you use, 
Yahoo Sports now and you're watching a football game, it'll give you the odds of what team's going to win. You know, Indiana's football been kind of low there. But um, throughout the game, well, there is a, there's a way to pull data from CME Group. And this goes back to the day after Labor Day. Uh, day after Labor Day is about a 10% chance we were going to, the market was pricing in about a 10% chance of one rate hike by the June 2022 meeting. Uh, that little bump up, uh, I, had, I got to change my number yesterday. It was 58% before the meeting. It bumped up to 62%. This is the odds of two rate hikes. So the market is pricing in a 70, little over 75% chance that we're going to get um, a rate hike at the June meeting and a rate hike at the December meeting next year. Uh, and my feeling is that is the mark. Inflation will push rates higher. Inflation will probably be the reason that they have to raise rates. And that's the derivative market kind of buying into the inflation argument. And then, as I mentioned, and I think we all know this, stocks are pretty expensive. Uh, this is the S&P 500 price to book ratio going back to 99 to present. Uh, a lot of us that have been around for a while within the markets equate some of the silliness, the meme stocks, those sorts of things to what we experienced with internet stocks. Well, lo and behold, uh, the price to book ratio for the S&P 500 is at the same level as it what hasn't been this high since the last day of 1999. And after the price to book ratio got that high, um, the broad-based indices um, and the growth version of those indices all were negative the following year. Uh, the value indices, the Russell 2000 is small cap, Russell 1000 is large cap. Both those value indexes were positive the following year while the other four were negative, uh, but they also outperformed the following three years and outperformed the following six of seven years. Uh, we haven't, we've had some decent performance out of value stocks this year. Uh, but there's a darn good chance that that's going to continue. So that's probably a good area to be looking at within the overall market. Uh, here's the price-to-sales ratio. Uh, there's, we're in uncharted territory, to say the least. Um, and so just a quick summary, inflation, it's going to be at the forefront of investors' minds. I, I do think the, the derivative markets, at least, are pricing in that it's not as transitory as most people think. Um, and stocks are expensive, but value stocks in previous environments like this have kind of been the place to be. Thanks, Russell. Uh, we'll certainly entertain questions on perhaps where the markets are headed even more uh, when we have Q&A. Uh, going from the national level down to our great state, Jennifer is going to give us some insights on that. Thanks, Bill. All right. I think this is on. Um, so a lot of what I'm going to be saying today will resemble what Kyle said about the national level, because being at the state level, we tend to follow what's going on at the overall economy. Um, in an overall sense, we can expect to see um, a continued recovery from the COVID pandemic and growth through 2022, with the higher growth in the first two quarters of 2022, similar to the national level. Yet that growth will be slower than what we saw in the second and third quarter of 2021. I just wanted to start off with talking a little bit about where we currently stand um, relative to our neighboring states and the national level before I go through where we think we will go in terms of three main themes, like Russell said, three points, right? Employment, income, and output. Um, in terms of employment, we do have one of the lower unemployment rates of all of our neighboring states. Um, we're about 4.2% lower than the national level, 
and lower than um, you know Kentucky, Ohio, Michigan, Illinois. In addition to that, we look at the labor force participation rate. Although Indiana lost 60,000 workers that fell out of the labor force, we still have a higher labor force participation rate than the national level. Ours is running around 63% relative to the 61% at the national level. Again, that's higher than our neighboring states. So we're sitting here in the middle of all of our neighboring states with a higher labor force participation rate, more people wanting to work, and a lower unemployment rate. So in sense of unemployment, we're, we're doing pretty well compared to the national level as well as our neighboring states. In income, we saw significant growth through the second, third quarter of um, 2021 with not so much growth in these last, you know, especially towards the end of the third quarter going into the fourth quarter, partly because of the stimulus, right? The stimulus packages and payments really spiked up the growth in income earlier in 2021. And the ending of those uh, stimulus there in September really started to weaken that growth, although we did continue to see some growth. However, relative to the national level, historically, Indiana has seen lower growth in income than at the national level, about a 0.4% difference. And we, continue, we expect to continue to see that moving forward into 2022. Although we have growth in income, it's not going to be as large, quite as large, uh, slightly lower than what we see at the national level. <clears throat> Again, with output, um, we're going to continue, continue to see growth in output driven mostly by the service industry, the service sectors. Manufacturing is, sector is going to lag behind in growth relative to service. And I'll go into a little bit more detail about these industries in a few minutes. But again, our growth in output, again, has been at a lower rate than what we've seen at the national level. Even though we've had growth, it's been slightly less. So overall, where we currently stand, we see that we have greater growth. Um, you know, or our employment situation is better than the national level. We're having growth in income and output, but not as high as growth as what we're seeing at the national level. So the three main themes we expect to see in 2022 is we expect to see continued growth, job creation, growth in employment, job creation around two percent similar to the labor, national labor's growth. We expect to add jobs each quarter, but yet we're going to experience a labor shortage just like at the national level. We're going to continue to expect to see growth in both income and output as we move through 2022 with the big chunk of that growth occurring in the first two quarters. So let me talk a little bit about each one of those themes in more detail. So when we look at forward into 2022 in terms of employment, we're going to continue to see job creation. We do know that it's not going to be quite as high what we've seen in 2021, but we will see that job creation. Um, although growth is going to be relatively high, we're still going to see our growth levels a little bit lower than what we were forecasted pre-pandemic. Okay, we're making, um, you know, we're recovering from the pandemic, but we're still not going to have those growth levels as we anticipated prior to the pandemic. And part of the reason we are going to see a slightly lower growth in employment and job creation in Indiana relative to the national level 
is that Indiana tends to have a slower population growth than at the national level. So we can expect to see that we're going to have a slightly lower um, growth in employment or job creation than we typically see at the national level. Our un we can expect our unemployment rate to continue to fall. Like I mentioned, we're about 4.2% now. By the end of 2022, it's forecasted to go down to about 3.6%. Okay. Um, we saw that the labor force is going to continue to grow. We're going to have more people um, joining the labor force in the first couple quarters, but that growth is going to continue to fall in the latter half. We expect to see about a 2.2% growth in uh, employment and job creation, with the dominant sector being the services. We can see a service sector growth of about 2.6%, whereas the good sector is going to be 0.7. So we're seeing that most of our growth in employment in Indiana is going to be in the services industry. Specifically, by sector, some of the top sectors that are going to see the largest growth is leisure and hospitality, which is likely going to be driven by Indianapolis. A lot of what happens in Indianapolis drives the state, right? Um, healthcare and professional and business services. Those are the top three areas where we will see the most uh, job creations and the most growth in employment. However, in manufacturing, which with Indiana being a manufacturing-oriented state, some concern is that we see very slow growth of only 0.44%. So there's many reasons why we might be thinking we, we're going to see that uh, lower growth in manufacturing. You know, it could be labor shortage. The supply chain issues, you know, trucking issues. We're seeing, you know, an, what, an announcement came out that over 80,000 truck drivers, there's a shortage of over 80,000 truck drivers nationwide. And with Indiana being a very manufacturing-oriented state, we depend on that, right? And with our manufacturers being able to get their inputs and from their suppliers. So that could be part of the issue in terms of the low growth in manufacturing. But overall, in terms of employment, the conclusion is we're going to see growth, right? It's going to be dominated by the sectors or the service sector with little growth in manufacturing. Income and output, similar to what we see with the national level, right? We're going to continue to have growth in um, real income, real income per capita. We're going to have growth not like we saw earlier in 2021. We're going to see, you know, real income growing about 1.7%. Um, nominal, a little bit higher, 5%, because obviously it's nominal and not adjusted for inflation. So we're going to see similar patterns to the national level, but slightly less than the national level, which, like we, I said earlier, is historically what we've seen. In terms of output, we're going to continue to see growth across all sectors, Okay, all industries. But again, the largest growth is going to occur in the services industries, not the manufacturing. You know, th the top three here in terms of output, which coincide with the growth in employment, would be our professional and business services, our leisure and hospitality, healthcare, even real estate and finance. Those are basically the top five areas, all service-oriented, that we expect to see growth in output, but they were also the top five that we expected to see growth in employment as well. 
On the other hand, the uh, lowest growth, the weakest growth will be in manufacturing, which, you know, is, um, we're going to see growth, but it's not going to be very strong. So what are some of the factors that could be affecting our recovery and our growth here in Indiana? Well, one obviously is a common thing we've seen at the national level is our labor shortage, right? We have a lower labor force participation rate, even though it's higher than what we see at the national level in our surrounding states, it's still lower than what we've had in the past. So we have lower people, you know, looking for fewer people looking for jobs, the de decrease in truck drivers, the impact and disruptions in logistics and transportations, right? That Indiana is caught up in that supply chain bottleneck, those logistic interu interruptions for shipping, you know, with the shortage of national, nationally truck driver, drivers can all impact our recovery as well. You know, in terms of manufacturing, with the lower growth in manufacturing, with the Indiana being a manufacturing-oriented state, a lower growth in that is going to hinder our recovery as well, or the pace of our recovery. We often see that our, in manufacturing, our job creation is lagging our production, right? We have job creation lagging production. Now there's a question there, is that good or bad, right? We have less employment, the growth in employment manufacturing is uh, smaller than our production. Well, that can actually, in one sense, indicate increased productivity, right? You need fewer workers to produce the same output. So you're increasing productivity, maybe the adaption of new technology and encouraging investment in capital and automation. And as we move forward with this labor shortage, our firm, manufacturing firms, going to start looking that way. How do they continue to increase their output with the labor shortage? Are they going to begin to invest in capital and technology and automation in which capital is going to replace human labor as a way to meet the output and to grow? Okay. You know, other things affecting growth in Indiana, as Kyle mentioned, you know, the supply chain issues. When are they going to be resolved? There's a lot of discussion, you know. It's a pretty much given those supply chain disruptions are going to move in towards 2022. They're not going to be resolved by the end of the year. Okay, so if we were all hoping that it'd be resolved and everybody'd have all their Christmas decorations and gifts and everything for the holidays, don't get your hopes up too much, okay? Which will likely result in more expensive holiday celebrations this year. Okay, so, um, you know, are we going to have any additional fiscal stimulus? Inflationary pressures, right? Kyle talked about whether it's long-term, short-term, the disagreement on that. We know in, in Russell as well, we know inflation is going to move, continue through 2022. You know, how is that going to affect our Indiana residents and their household budgets? Are they going to reduce how much they're spending, what they're buying? That could hinder our growth as well. So in conclusion, what can we think about as we move forward into 2022? For Indiana, I have three main conclusions. We can expect post-pandemic growth and recovery to continue, especially in employment and income, into 2022, with the most of that growth being in the first couple quarters. Um, the growth in Employment and income, even though we have growth, it's going to be less, slightly less than what we see at the national level. 
and that growth in employment, even though we have growth and we're in a, currently in a better situation than the national level, we're going to see our growth levels in employment to be slightly less than the national level as well. Thank you. Thanks, Jennifer. Now let's bring it home. We're going to give, uh, I'm going to hand it over to Ms. Williams in just a minute to talk about perspective on the ground, and then we'll, Kyle will finish up with some data. But let me just set the context here for Indianapolis. And this is where the Kelly Schools really work, and Indiana University is, is really doubling down on being an engine of economic development. Uh, one of those is being a partner with the Black Chamber and other organizations to, to, to address one, one big issue. Now, what, what, one, structurally, our Indianapolis economy is well diversified. You know, you think of Indianapolis, you think of life sciences. You think of Indianapolis, you think of logistics and distribution. You think of high tech. And in all three of those areas, we have corporate leadership. Lilly in life sciences and, and other companies. We've got Salesforce in high tech. We've got FedEx uh, in, 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 in supply chain logistics. On the surface, structurally, Indianapolis seems like a great place to do business. Very friendly tax, state tax regime, very, uh, very livable place, very affordable. But when you peel it open, where we really struggle is in terms of small businesses. Of the 40 largest metropolitan areas, we're only 38th in terms of a place for being small business, for small business success. That's not good. Uh, challenging environment for small businesses structurally it holds down our innovation. We rank low in innovation as a region. We rank low in terms of talent and talent retention. And more importantly, which, I, which we're really feeling the impact of, we're very low in terms of economic mobility. We're only the 11th percentile in terms of economic mobility. And that's the, uh, that's the ability to be born in a low-income household get educated, and work your way up to higher income levels as you become an adult. Basically, nine out of 10 cities are better than us. Um, in Marion County, 25% uh, of our neighbors are in the African-American community. Unfortunately, black ownership of businesses is only 4%. So we've got some real structural issues to also address. Um, so, 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 so talking about Indianapolis, I wanna, I wanna hand it over uh, to, to Anita here. By the way, Anita, Anita, thank you. I know you're a Purdue grad. Uh, so you're, you're, you're bringing these two great institutions together. But Anita, can you give us your perspective on, on the challenges and opportunities that you see in Indianapolis as we, as we finish 2021 and enter 2022? And, and how does the forecast that you're hearing resonate with what you're seeing with entrepreneurs and, and businesses uh, on the ground? Thank you, Phil. I guess I want to start with the, um, the unemployment rate. Uh, when we talk about unemployment rate, it's different for African-Americans. Typically double. So I know we're looking at about a 9% unemployment rate for African-Americans. Our numbers are always different. Our situations are different. Although we have the same challenges as other small businesses, we still have the, the overarching um, effect of of slavery and of um, of everything just not being equal. That that's just the reality of it. So then, when we talk to small businesses, we try to help them get over that, work through that. So we have a lot of people who have been 
very creative during the pandemic time and started more businesses. Nationally, African-American businesses are starting at a rate of over 60% new businesses nationally. Locally, we've seen about a 40% increase in black business. We've been excited about that. We're there to help them. Um, one of the issues, of course, is finance that hits all small business. And with the pandemic, the government saw that money need to be pushed into the economy. And most black businesses were unable to get that first group of PPP money. So again, we were hit hardest at that time. We saw that as the black community. And so we reached out to other larger organizations and said, look, our businesses are out here and they're struggling like everyone else. They had to close their doors. If they're nail salons, if they are barbers, if they do, if they're small businesses, and most of our businesses are less than 15 people. A lot of them are micro businesses, one to two people. So if you have a business that small, during the pandemic, you did need to close your doors. So finance was necessary. Uh, Cummins came to us last year and said that we see that the black community was hit hardest, the small business community. So they gave us $850,000 to distribute around the Indianapolis area to low-income businesses. And so we were glad to be a part of that. The other thing we try to do is training. Because as banks tell us that um, the credit score is too low or you know, they don't have enough experience, so we bring in the professionals to help them with their taxes, to help them with their business structure. We do a 10-week course, and we've done that three times this year. Um, in 2019, we graduated 40 students. 2020, no one. But uh, this year, we've gone through... Uh, three courses, and they come to us. The course runs 10 weeks, two nights a week, Tuesday and Thursday, for two hours each night. During this time, they meet with attorneys to help them with trademark, to help them with their business structure, to help them with insurance. Four banking institutions come in to help them with um, credit scores, understanding credit, um, debt consolidation, everything that would have to do with the bank, meeting with the bankers one-on-one. -on -one. So that has been a great success. At the end of that, we make sure that they have money to fund their business. They get at least $5,000. And I know to some of you, that's not a lot. But when you have a micro business, 5000 is a great deal. We also offer them an additional $1,000 to utilize the resources that come into the training group. So we've not seen a lot of our small businesses close their doors. They did suffer during the pandemic, but they didn't have to shut their doors completely. They've been very resilient, and they've continued on. Um, if they had to partner with other people who had to move their business and they've gone in together. We've been proud of some of the partnerships that people have decided to put together. But they've come up with new ideas, mobile notaries, to make sure that um, you don't have to come inside the building. She's got a printer and everything that you need, and we thought that was ingenious. We saw um, mobile coffee shops come into existence. They knew that they had to stay out in the open and be mobile and come to you. 
Most people during the pandemic like staying in the house. We've all gotten kind of used to that. So if you can give them a call, then they understand they need to be mobile. Food trucks and moving the food trucks around. They've been very ingenious in starting their business. We've been excited about the growth of our businesses, watching them grow, being a resource, whatever it is they need to move to the next level. They make sure they come to the Black Chamber so that we have the finances, we have the education. Uh, we want to be competitive. I think a big problem still in Indiana is that we're not a diverse community, not really. We're very segregated. And until we understand that we need to be diverse, we need to be a welcoming community for everyone. And as soon as we do that, I think there can be a lot of growth here in Indiana. But we've got to genuinely reach out and start working together. Thank you, Anita. Uh, great words from the front lines. And uh, we're going to finish, Kyle. We we, are, we have the we have our big our big forecasting box in Bloomington, and we we do run some numbers for the for the local regional economy. Kyle, you want to give us some numbers on on on, on where Indianapolis is headed at the uh, at, as a region? Yeah, thanks, Phil, and and thanks, Anita, for that perspective because I I was going to echo those very much that that we do have significant challenges within the city overall in the Indianapolis. Carmel Anderson MSA as as the the area gets broken down we have a strong economy we're the driver for the state as as Jennifer mentioned this is really the the region that drives economic growth we we represent a little over 30% of the population but more like 35% of the employment 36% of the income so we disproportionately Indianapolis represents uh, the the economic force behind the state, and a lot of that comes from our demographics. We we tend to get the uh, higher education, younger folks. People are moving to cities, and and we can use that uh, appeal to draw folks in. Downtown has a lot of challenges. We're all coming down here this morning, um, and and seeing that. The downtown area needs to, to transition. We can't just rely on large office buildings being full of people driving in from the you know surrounding counties from eight to five on a on Monday through Friday. That doesn't drive downtown anymore. We are going to get a big boost in in 2022 when I think some of that convention and tourism business will pick back up, and that will certainly help. This area, especially that that we're sitting in right now, that that really is reliant on that. Um, but I also think that what we really need is uh, more residential downtown, whether it's uh, you know apartments, townhouses, condos. I, I think the city needs to be aggressively pushing that um, increased development downtown and and make this city look more like you know other other great cities where, where people work there live there um, spend all their time there and not the the commuter city that it was a number of years ago and and I, I feel like we're making that transition but it, it's happening too slowly um, but overall it, it, you know Phil did a great job highlighting Indianapolis is doing well uh, 
Elanco moving its headquarters from out in Greenfield downtown, those sorts of things represent kind of proof of concept that that big business wants to be in this city and and can thrive and and do well um and and so the next year the the biggest challenge is we're forecasting regional city unemployment to be three percent and so you know in a lot of ways that's too low the the challenge we're having is how do we draw more workers here how do we get people to come to indianapolis how do we educate folks to make sure that our workforce is, is trained and ready? Because there's going to be plenty of jobs here. It, it's a matter of making sure that our, our workforce is ready to meet it. But overall, it's a, it's a really good outlook for the city for 2022. So all, all, that, all that you've heard, you'll, you'll hear on paper and uh, hopefully help you plan as we go into 2022, which we hope will be a great year truly coming out of the pandemic and sort of returning back to a, to a great sense of, of progress and prosperity. Anyway, thank you everyone for coming. It's been great to have you. Have a great day.